The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High. And we're going to start off with some music, interestingly. Not playing it, but some free music. We'll talk about that shortly. And also, the big topic at the moment is all about privacy, apart from what's going on in the COVID and vaccine universe. That seems to be all that people are talking about. So joining us in Tech Talk Cafe once again is Brendan Ambrose from Advanced Privacy. He's going to be talking about privacy, but more specifically, and this is something that I think you should all listen to, um, in my humble opinion here, is that Papier, privacy, the new privacy and data privacy laws are coming into force on 1 July 2021. That's less than six weeks. In fact, it's five weeks away. And there's some serious implications for all of us. It may or may not affect you. Well, let's put it this way. It is going to affect you directly at some level. And every company needs to do certain things. And I have no doubt that we're going to see some enforcement from our regulator, our privacy regulator, because they need to make their mark and show people that they're taking this seriously. And apart from some spats they're having with uh, Facebook over the privacy regulations around uh, WhatsApp, there are going to be some interesting to's and fro's between companies that are compliant and companies and people that aren't. So stay tuned. I think it'll be really useful for your small business and your big business for that matter to understand what's coming in the privacy space. There's going to be a lot of uh, rules and regulations just to add to the admin that we're getting up to as usual. But moving on to something a lot more fun and a lot more exciting is that Spotify announced that they're offering South Africans some free um, music for three months if you qualify. And that in- and includes people who have previously not previously subscribed and people who haven't. And Spotify, as you may or may not know, is seriously um, the oldest and probably one of the very best music streaming services. And all of us have smartphones, the vast majority anyway, um, and everybody is using their phone for all sorts of stuff. And streaming music, downloading music, owning music, those days are so, so, so gone. And you need a great music service. Now, obviously, Apple Music also offers you three months free. So there are lots of ways to listen to uh, free music. But if you're a Spotify fan, and I must say that when it comes to music curation and the algorithm of once you start listening to music, how they suggest new tracks to you is without question one of the best. Spotify are also offering a high-end tier now, which is really cool. And guess what? Apple is also offering a high-end lossless tier of music, which is a little bit more expensive. But essentially, if you were a former subscriber, you can now pay $59.99 for three months of uh, Spotify premium, which is brilliant. But if you've never subscribed or you've got another email address that you can use to subscribe, you can get the first three months completely and utterly free. And it gives you access to around about 70 million audio tracks. And what is happening is more and more people are doing more and more Podcasts are coming up on their on their app, uh, and you get access to that as well. So check it out if you're looking at subscribing to a, a music streaming service. The Apple service is in many ways very equivalent. They also now have a high-end lossless uh, uh, option, and 
The only real difference between the two is if you're in the Apple ecosystem, pretty seamless. And if you're not, um, Spotify do a fabulous job in terms of curation and the way that it suggests new tracks. So it's horses for courses, but uh, either one of them are going to bring you more music than you could ever imagine you could listen to at any one time. And the quality is great. The ease of use is great. But, of course, it uses data. So before we go on to my next little news item, which is all about our friends at Telcom, which is going to have a quick break for our sponsors. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And before we get stuck into tech again, uh, unfortunately, we seem to be experiencing a little bit of an uptick in COVID across the country. So everybody needs to stay healthy in order to, you know, obviously play with all the tech that I'm going to be talking about. Now, as I mentioned, we are in a very significant transition phase in terms of broadband. At the highest end, we're talking about 5G and exceptionally fast speeds. We're talking about fiber and, again, exceptionally high speeds. And just in overall usage around the world and certainly in South Africa because of this work from home, because of the the issues around pandemics and things like that, the use of, of these high-speed advanced connectivity technologies is accelerating at a rapid rate. The one great benefit of all that is the price in many cases is becoming cheaper and cheaper the fact that you can now get uncapped 5g uncapped um, fiber it changes pretty much the picture but so many people i know and it'll be very interesting um, to find out how many of our listeners actually still use adsl it's worked for many 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 years and i mean it's it's pretty much ancient in terms of tech terms ADSL reached a sort of peak in around about 2013, 2014, and then slowly but surely started to fade. And Telcom released their latest figures with regard to their uh, performance in the last couple of months uh, and their financial figures. And buried in all of that is that Telcom has lost a ton of fixed lines since 2001. And their broadband, which we discussed, which translates into ADSL, started declining from around about 2016, but towards the end of 2016. And that decline has continued. They've delayed the shutting down of ADSL because, again, so many people are just happy with the ability to get a few emails, browse the web a little, and they don't see any real benefit in high-speed connectivity, although the benefits are, are really manifest. And they they lost the plot in the fiber space. Vumatel owns about 40% of the market. They are trying really hard to push everybody to fiber, but a lot of people are resisting. But the simple fact is that if you're on ADSL now, the current specials that a couple of companies are doing as well as, well as Telcom make it reasonably cheap and a little bit cheaper than fiber, but the service is on its way out. The maintenance, the problems you're probably having, and I've heard a lot of people having a lot of trouble. It either does or doesn't work. In fact, I still pay for a phone line. I don't have ADSL on it at home. And the other day, I plugged actually plugged a phone in and tried to use it. And guess what? My phone wasn't working, and I haven't noticed for I don't know how long. So the time has come. If you have ADSL, if you're in any way working with ADSL, they are far more cost-effective, 4G and 5G, platforms that will give you much better service, much more reliable, 
um, at similar or slightly more cost in some cases and others, maybe even a little cheaper. And if you intend to do any form of streaming using Spotify that I was talking about, things like that, there's just no question the time has come to finally unplug the telephone and bid your copper line to Telcom farewell. Not good news for Telcom. It's still quite a large chunk of their revenue, but it is old-fashioned technology. It's clunky. They're not supporting it fully. It's going to get more and more flaky. And the best thing that they actually can do is shut it down as quickly as they can and get rid of it because it just makes absolutely no sense to be using a, a type of technology that pretty much is dead, except, interestingly, in most of Europe. That's Germany's still got a huge um, ADSL user base, even though they've managed to get the speeds on ADSL up to fiber speeds, three, four, five hundred megabits per second. But even so, ADSL in South Africa is essentially history. Copper lines in South Africa have become a real problem with the maintenance and the liability around it. And expect to see that pretty much fade away in response to fiber. And wherever you can, with telecom, you can switch your phone and your internet connection to fiber and have all the benefits if you want a fixed line, if you're not fully mobily connected. So interesting, good news, bad news, not great news for telecom as they try to pivot, but anyway. So moving on to even more stuff and reasons why you need these high-speed connections, which is actually quite a big deal, is that the news has hit that, um, sorry, that Amazon, excuse me, I just uh, had a little quick brain freeze there. But Amazon, now Amazon, as everyone knows, are just one of the largest corporations around. They're actually very active in South Africa on the data space, not so much on the shopping space. We have Take A Lot to thank for that, or rather Take A Lot is our Amazon in some ways. But most people uh, I know are adding to their streaming bundle by using something called Amazon Prime. Now, Amazon Prime is part of their shopping benefit, but they do sell their streaming platform, which includes music, at a separate amount, which is pretty reasonable, around about 140 rand a month, give or take, depending on the exchange rate. Um, and you can sign up for Amazon Prime whether you use whether you use the shopping or not in South Africa. But what has hit the the, the news in the last few days is that Amazon has purchased MGM Studios in an $8.5 billion deal which is massive, absolutely massive in terms of not the money, which is huge enough, but in terms of the impact it's going to make on the the movie and the entertainment industry. Now, Amazon have been doing a lot of their own original content, spending a lot of money on some really, some very interesting, others very peculiar shows. But the simple fact is they have not been competing with the likes of um, Netflix in any significant way or HBO, or the other major content providers, but or, or Disney for that matter. But now, there is no question that um, bringing the home of uh, 007 and a ton of other MGM titles, as it used to be called Metro Golden Mayor, which was founded back in 24, and one of the major um, movie studios in the world, by bringing that online, it will definitely bring them straight into competition with Netflix, Disney+, Plus, HBO, and Apple TV. Apple TV is still an interesting one. They, they're a bit of a bit player. Interesting content, but a bit of a bit player. 
But there's no question that streaming services are the way it's going. More and more people are simply just not watching normal linear TV. And on-demand has become the, the sort of de facto go-to for most people watching any form of entertainment on television. And again, for that, you need fast 5G, 4G, or, or fiber connections. So again, another little shake-up in the space. Watch, watch um, this whole space evolve. More and more content right now. Uh, Amazon Prime is available in South Africa. So along with Netflix, along with um, Amazon Prime, along with Showmax, and even DSTV is now fully online if you want to pay for a subscription without a dish. Then you've got for moderate money, around about a thousand rand a month, you can, or a little bit over a thousand rand a month, you can have more content than you could potentially stream at any point in time ever. So, Again, that's sort of a hundred dollars. You'd be paying a hell of a lot more for that in the US for that level of, of product. So it sounds like a lot of money, but it's actually extremely good value to have all of them and, and put them all together. So watch the space. Lots happening. And we're going to have another quick break for our sponsors. And then we'll be back with Brendan Ambrose from uh, Advanced Intellect talking all about uh, cybercrime. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Essentially, what we are trying to talk about, I'm just going to set the scene here uh, while we, our technical team, try to get Brendan to connect to the whole system. Um, and I'm actually going to call him on another platform altogether. Brendan, have you joined us? I have. You've called me on about three platforms. <laughs> Too many platforms going on here. So I'm going to set the scene. Popia, which you can explain what that lovely acronym means, is coming into force on uh, 1 July 2021. It's been a long time coming. And in many ways, it brings South Africa in line with other leading countries in the world with regard to data privacy and the requirements that that brings to a lot of companies across South Africa are, are pretty extensive. So... Give us a little bit of insight of what Popia is for those that have been living under a rock and have not heard uh, what it's, what's going on in this space. But more specifically, it's really it's going to impact all of us. It's going to impact all our lives at some level or another. And for companies, small and large, there are some practical steps and some things that potentially need to be done within the next five weeks to remain compliant with this law. Because, again, I mentioned that I do believe our dear regulator is going to obviously take the opportunity to make its mark and show that they're serious about the whole matter of data privacy and protection. So give us a little insight and tell us, you know, your thoughts in this space. Sure. So just as an introduction, I'm uh, the general manager of data privacy at a company called Affons Intellect. Um, by trading, I'm, a da- I'm a, an intellectual property and data protection lawyer. Um, and I joined Affons Intellect uh, late last year. Um, to assist uh, the client, well, our clients with their data privacy compliance, um, amongst other things, but that's the main role. The POPIA, and to disambiguate that, is the Protection of Personal Information Act, as you quite rightly mentioned, comes into full force and effect on 1 July this year. So we've got 35 days um, until this act is in effect. And what the Act does is a number of things. The first thing it does is it creates the position of the information regulator. And the information regulator is what the name sounds like. She regulates the use and flow of personal information 
within the Republic of South Africa and companies' uses of personal information. That has a number of effects, right? That has effects for data um, subjects, which is you and I as individuals, as it gives us greater rights towards our data and greater recourse should companies be misusing that data. So things like um, unsolicited phone calls or... I was just going to say, that's one of my key bugbears. Will I stop getting phone calls from 087 numbers? You probably won't, but they will They will probably slow down. And, I mean, I don't know if you do the same thing I do, but I demand to know where I got the informa- where they got my information from, and at that point, that was put down. Um, but it does go hand-in-hand hand with the Consumer Protection Act in that space with direct marketing um, to give the consumer more rights in respect of their personal information. It also sets certain standards for companies to comply with in order to process, which is use manipulate, send back and forth your personal information um, as that company, right? So it sets, sets, sets out eight processing principles, which I won't go into now, but essentially what they, what it does is, not. Yeah, it creates this framework for the correct use of data and personal data specifically in South Africa. Personal data is um, online identifiers, your name together with other information that people can put together, um, your email address together with other information. And it's, for me, I think an incredibly important act, which has been a long time coming. From a macroeconomic point of view, why it's so important is that Europe can only send personal information uh, the EU can only send personal information to third countries which have similar data protection laws in place. And up until 1 July, South Africa hasn't had data protection laws in place, which, may, which means that we couldn't be a, a storage house for, certain, for, for information stemming from or containing European citizens. So from a, from a macroeconomic point of view, it will probably result in more investment in data warehousing in South Africa, the flow through of data um, through South Africa. Can I just... Can I just clarify something there? That's actually an excellent point. So, for example, let's say some South African company comes up with a brilliant service that can be used by someone outside of South Africa, let's say in the EU. But in order to do that, they have to store all sorts of information of that EU citizen. If this act was not in place, that citizen would actually have a problem using a service that was being delivered out of South Africa. Exactly. So it creates all sorts of regulatory and compliance issues. So what would happen in that situation until 1 July is you'd have servers hosted in the EU or a third country that the EU has what they call made it grants an adequacy decision that our law is um, equivalent to that of the GDPR, which is the General Data Protection Regulation, which is the EU's version of their, their data protection law. So there's pretty fundamental impacts on, on all sorts of, of different businesses. And I, and I say that because a lot of South African financial services and other businesses do deliver a lot of, a lot of work in the EU. So a, a company that a lot of us have heard of, Discovery, yeah. um, hosts a ton of stuff in South Africa and offers services in South Africa to people in the EU. Yeah, so I mean, Discovery is a great example. They've got a, they've, they've taken data privacy very seriously over the last couple of years because they know that they've got masses, massive amounts of personal information of various nationalities and in various jurisdictions. So for them, I mean, Discovery, it's a massive task to make sure that they comply with the Papia. But to sort of bring it back to the Papia itself is that because it fully comes into effect on 1 July, setting out those processing principles, it's created a number of deadlines before that in order to 
make sure that your company, whether you're large or small, there's no there's no size criteria for the Popier, unlike the GDPR, which has certain limitations. Um, there have there are some deadlines coming up, which is um, which is which is important to keep in mind because it's because it applies to your company whether or whether or not you want it to. Um, it's something to to at least be aware of, and you know there's a risk call to say, well, you know, am I going to spend ridiculous amounts of money getting compliant, or am I going to do the best I can to get compliant? Um, and what is my risk profile there? I mean, how much information do we store? Do we need to be compliant? Is it something that um, that is a, that massively affects our organization, or is it something that just affects our payroll because we've got staff? So those sorts of questions that people need to start asking. And it's also important to note that another role that the Papier creates is that of the information officer, which is a new role in all companies. And by default, the information When you say, sorry, let's just clarify, yeah. all companies, that's any registered company. It doesn't matter how big or how small, any theoretically. So trusts, companies, uh, partnerships, anything that, that processes personal information in a non um, household capacity. So, I mean, if you give, you refer me to a great doctor, um, and you give me a cell phone number, that's not covered by Papier because that's household use. But any company using personal information for any purpose will be covered by the Papier. So, in other words, if you sign up for a newsletter, if you uh, buy something online and you give them your details, they suddenly fall into Correct. that whole Correct. Simple stuff that you wouldn't even think about. Suddenly they've got your info, your phone number, your email. They're now subject to Popier. Exactly. And it does prevent them from reselling that information. I mean, the irony is I get two, three emails a week trying to sell me databases of clients, which I think is the most ironic and hilarious thing I've ever seen in my life because they're trying to sell me as the head of privacy of this company um, databases to get clients <laughs> to sell privacy. To, to sell privacy to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love that. I that think, is extremely funny. I think it's I think it's very very funny to try get me to databases, and that in theory should stop once the papier comes into effect. But it's one of those things of uh, yes, I mean the law says exactly this, but there will always be people playing in the playing in the. I mean well, that's not even really grey, but playing outside of that. So the point is around the information officer, and I think I want to get back to this because it is quite important. Mm. The information officer is the person in the company who's responsible for all information management within that company to make sure that that you are compliant with the POPIA, that you have a PIA manual, which is the Pro, um, Promotion of Access to Information Act, um, that your company is aware that POPIA exists and that you have certain restrictions in how you can use data. Um, and by default, that person is the head of the organization. So if you if you run a company that's 10 people strong, um, you won't you – won't, appoint an information officer because you're adding to the payroll and you're adding to the headcount. Um, but someone in that, that organization will probably get a dual role. And if you don't grant someone a dual role of the information officer, you as the CEO or the MD will automatically be deemed to be the information officer. That being said... So you, there's no escaping this? No. One way or the other, you're, you're, you're in. And, there, and the head of the organization is always the ultimate responsible party for data, pro, data protection. So even if you have an information officer, at the end of the day, the head of the organization will be the ultimate responsible party to ensure data compliance. Now, the point is is that this, is, this has to go up to the C-suite level in big companies. This has to go up to Exco level. It's not something that can sit at management level. It needs to be more senior than that because, and I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard this before, but every company now is a data company, whether you know it or not. Data has become so intrinsic to our day-to-day -day life and so intrinsic to our business um, that it is 
absolutely key to make sure that that is managed correctly and that is managed appropriately in line with obviously the law, but also in line with you know good moral standing, you know, showing respect to your clients that you value their data and that you're going to treat it in the correct way and that you're not going to sell databases and that you're not going to contact them out the blue for no reason. So that sort of stuff, which we're starting to get to a point of understanding what uh, what what's important to us as South Africans, but that'll take some time. So the information officer has all of that on their shoulders. And what we've seen, especially amongst my clients, is that when they delegate the information officer and, and the, the, the registration of information officers is available and you need to do this on the information regulators website. So if you go to justice.gov.za forward slash inforeg, you'll get to the information regulators website and you should appoint your information regulator there. But And that's also legal requirement for every legal entity. Correct. So they need to now, every company needs to go and register the information officer, whether or not it's a... Um, whether or not it's the head of the organization or it's delegated, and they need to register any deputy information officers. So it's a new compliance role in an organization as um, as is required by Popier. So it's not something you can get around whether you like it or not, but in truth, it's one of the few areas of compliance that shows massive value to clients. It shows clients that you take what they give you seriously and that you respect their information. So for me, it's not a sunk cost of compliance that we just have to comply. It's something that you can actually use to get a better sense of what information you have in your organization and take comfort in the fact that if you appoint an information officer, there's someone overseeing that. Now, that role is quite an interesting one. It's, you know, should you have a lawyer appointed as an information officer? Should you have a risk professional? Should you have a data scientist? So there's no, there's no best choice. It depends on what company you are. And I mean, we help a lot of our clients make that determination. So for, com- for companies that are very data centric, that put a lot of artificial intelligence, uh, put a lot of artificial intelligence on their systems, then it makes sense for their um, information officer to be a data scientist. Why? Because they actually conduct very technical exercises on data and the information officer needs to understand that. But for a company that does a lot of, let's say, payroll processing, the technicality is of less importance than where the data is and the legality of processing that data. So then in that case, a lawyer or a compliance officer would probably make more sense in that role. So there's a lot to consider there for bigger organizations. For small organizations, I doubt anyone's actually going to go and hire an information officer. Um, We offer outsourcing services, so where it actually comes to the um, data subject requests um, and other administrative type things, we we can do that, and we do that for some small smaller clients because it doesn't make financial sense for them to go and employ an information officer, or for them for someone internal to do it, just simply because the skills in South in the South African market just aren't there. Um, but it's an interesting it's an interesting obligation I think that Popia places on companies, but I think it's important. It brings South Africa to a level that is pretty much equivalent to that of the EU. There are some areas which Popia doesn't have, which the GDPR does. But on the whole, I think if we had to apply for an adequacy decision um, with the, the, the ECJ, we would get such an adequacy decision and there would be data flowing. And something else just to keep in mind with Popia, um, especially for companies that operate um, sort of in the, um, in the US and South Africa, that the U.S. is not considered an appropriate third country to transfer personal information. So as Europe has that requirement um, to transfer personal information to countries that have similar or greater data protection laws, as does South Africa now, well, as of 1 July, 
And the U.S. is not seen as one of those countries by Europe, and it certainly won't be seen as one of those countries for South Africa. So if you have an Office 365 account or you're running on Google Business, something like that, you have to be very careful as to where you've selected um, to host your information. And it might be a bit more expensive, but for the moment you should be hosting in um, most likely if it's Microsoft Frankfurt or if it's Google, it's Dublin. So it's just something to keep in mind at that level um, when you're... That's actually a fascinating... Uh, unfortunately, we're running a little bit out of time, but I think that's a fascinating thing to, to explore. Pretty much everybody listening to this program, just based on, on the penetration of Office 365 or Google, is using one of those services on a daily basis. And what you're saying is that from 1 July, they could fall foul of Papier simply by not knowing where they purchased that service from and where their data, their emails, their messaging, their oh, documents okay. are sitting. Correct. Correct. And it's very important to keep that in mind. And it's things like that that you don't want to land up having to try and figure out when, a re- when the regulator investigates you or if you most likely um, when a client asks you this sort of thing. And what we've noticed is that um, our sm- sort of small to medium clients are getting a lot of requests from, their, from large entities to undertake certain contractual obligations that they will comply with the papier, that they have hosting locally or that they have hosting in the correct jurisdictions in alignment with um, data privacy law. So it's actually a bit more self-regulated than regulator-regulated at the moment until the regulator uh, hit, kicks off from the starting blocks on 1 July. But uh, but you you know from various discussions you you I mentioned that uh, the regulator is potentially looking at a couple of compliance wins in this space as we go along. So do you believe that we're going to see some enforcement activity and some just general uh, activity around data privacy in the next couple of weeks and months? I'd be very surprised if we don't. I'd be very, very surprised if we don't. The regulator has been very active over the last couple of weeks and months leading up to Papier. Um, they've got the right people in at the regulator to do their jobs properly. Um, so I'd be very surprised if the regulator doesn't start look, doesn't start investigating and issuing compliance notices against certain companies that are blatantly um, outside of the outside of the ambit of Papier, and then obviously whittling it down to those that you know that that are trying and <laughs> not getting there, and those that aren't trying at all. So I think the regulator will. And we'll, we'll start with, with those that really are and really are outside of Papier. Outside. outside yeah. and, not within, and not within the spirit of Papier um, and the spirit of data privacy legislation. That would, that would be my guess. I'd be surprised if they don't. Um, but I suppose we can only see, right? No, that's, that's really, really interesting. Now, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or find out more about this, where can they find details to get in touch? Plug What's my your website? So our website is advance, A-T-V-A-N-C-E dot tech dot T-E-C-H. Um, or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, which is Brendan Ambrose, and I'll get, I'll happily respond there. Brilliant. So there you go. It just shows you that uh, another one of these acts that sound very esoteric stuff that people wouldn't really think affects or impacts their daily lives potentially has a massive impact on what they do every day on their computers, on their smartphones, and in pretty much any interaction they have with any company in South Africa. So something not to be ignored. Thanks for your time, Brendan, and we will be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. 
Well, welcome back. And my favorite part of the show is always the gadgets and gizmos I've played with. But recently I had the opportunity to see some gadgets and gizmos in play that actually have a fairly fundamental impact on, on what we do every day. And that is with motorcars. Now, there is no question, um, a, a guy I know doesn't live in South Africa yet because Tesla is not available here was asking me how does he manage to park his Tesla close enough to his Wi-Fi so that it can function with, it can get the automatic updates overnight um, because he didn't obviously park in the street, not in the garage. What a crazy question to ask about your car. I mean, a car is something you get in. If it's a, a electric car, you plug it in to charge it and you drive. If it needs petrol, you take it to the fuel station and you fuel it up and you drive. Who ever thinks about overnight updates or weekly or monthly or even biannual updates to the software that runs your car. But there's just no question. Cars have become gadgets. Tesla have taken motor vehicles into a whole new era of essentially a gadget. The thing needs has a single screen. There are no more dials and knobs. Everything is operated off a touch screen, which sits in the center of the console. It also updates and all the functionality improves. It's got processes of immense capacity running. And that's not just Tesla. Every single one of the new motor cars or motor vehicles that are hitting the roads over the next, right now and over the next little whiles, are going to increasingly become technology tour de forces. Hundreds of processes, multiple systems, interface screens, engine management systems, motor management systems, the ability to connect to the Internet at all times through 4G, 5G, you name it. All of this is happening right now. And Ford South Africa, which is very interesting, um, are moving really quickly in that regard. A new framework for electric vehicles is coming to South Africa. By 2030, most of the cars in, in Europe will be you know, will the new cars will have to be electric. And South Africa, interestingly, exports a huge percentage of its cars to uh, Europe. And obviously, if they, if exporting fuel cars, which are going out of fashion, and we're talking 10 years from now, not even nine years from now, which is crazy. Um, so the South African motor industry has got to change. So expect to see a lot more emphasis on electric cars, a lot more charging points and a lot more manufacturers offering electric or hybrid-type vehicles over the next couple of years in line with what's going on around the world. But what Ford did recently, which was really fascinating, they showed the, the, the industry what they're doing, is they have combined another technology, which for many people thought it was great for gaming and not much else, which is virtual reality um, glasses and virtual reality headsets, in the use of fixing your car. And they've set up a complete system using a headset called RealWear. Now, the RealWear VR headset um, enables their technicians, wherever they are, pretty much at any dealership anywhere, to dial into its services engineering operations. I love these acronyms, the SEO. And, the, and that operation center can then take one of their technicians in real time, because this VR, this VR headset has got two components to it. The first one's a little screen, which shows the technician what's going, you know, 
what's being sent to him from the control center, and at the same time a camera and a, a light to light up what the technician's actually working on. And then what that does in the background, it overlays that particular element. So let's say he's working on the fuse box of a, of a car or who knows what other little bit, the wheel or you name it, whatever he's working on, then gets overlaid across that particular part in their database. So if the technician, for whatever reason, cannot figure out what's going wrong, they can then use the the expert assistance of highly trained uh, experts at the at the main central place to allow the technician to to fix certain things. And the demonstration that I saw was pretty 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 slick. It definitely allowed tons of of information to flow up and down, and it was pretty much seamless. And again, we're looking at high speed connectivity and lots of um, high speed. Uh, discussions going on in that space, but they are rolling this out to all their larger dealers. So the good, you know, the good old days, you had to wait for an expert or uh, uh, someone to come in and assist. So in many, many ways, it's, um, it's going to definitely help the sheer efficiency of repairs and certainly bring much needed expertise through a really simple technological platform. Well, it's not simple in in creation or execution, but simple in its very nature and um, allows people to do stuff in very remote areas. The next phase of this, which is going to be really fascinating, is they're going to be able to make it portable. So if you break down on the side of the road you can, and someone's not an expert, they can use a very similar system, either using a phone or a VR headset to be able to bring specialized repairs to areas where it just wasn't possible before. So it is this blend of technology, this blend of incredibly smart usage of various technologies that is going to bring massive benefit to all of us and expect to see more and more. Um, I mean, uh, car manufacturers doing similar things. I mean, right now, you can plug your BMW, your Mercedes, your Ford, even your Hyundai in to machinery, which then diagnoses the issues of the car and tells you what needs to be replaced, repaired, or fixed. But this takes it to the next level where the actual technician can be plugged into a system where all the various um, expertise and knowledge and parts and schematics and everything you need to do to fix your car is available on request and, and guided by central experts that allow guys who perhaps haven't seen this latest model or hasn't been for the training yet on a particular problem to be able to efficiently and effectively repair your car, order the parts they need, do whatever needs to be done entirely remotely via this platform. So kudos to Ford for bringing this to the market as quickly as they have. I've seen it working. It works extremely well. And um, it really does bring a whole range of high tech. So don't, you know, these... Um, uh, mechanics are no longer that. They technicians. They're going to have headsets like doctors, and um, it's it's really quite a a serious thing. They can remotely operate on your car and do all sorts of stuff. And we'll be back in a few minutes, um, straight after this, with some another little bit of good news in terms of the broadband space, where 4G can become can become 5G for some of. Uh, the lucky subscribers of Rain out there. So we'll be back straight after this. 
This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. And rain, which unfortunately became, uh, I think, a bit of a victim of its own success as people desperately try to get high-speed internet in places where fiber or even ADSL had died or fiber wasn't available. They certainly managed to sell probably far too many uh, connections for certain areas. Now, one of the limitations of, of mobile is that the mobile antenna can only handle X amount of capacity. And as the capacity on that antenna increases, so if there are 10 people on and capacity is 100, each person gets 10. If the capacity is, if, if 100 people go on, everybody gets one. So the performance of those towers definitely dropped considerably as more and more people came online and then more and more people used up more and more bandwidth. So there's been a lot of complaints. I've spoken to a lot of people who've had trouble with RAIN 4G across uh, pretty much most of the country. Well, what RAIN have done is they've been launching and rolling out their 5G solution. And the benefit of 5G, apart from anything, is that if you had 100 connections on a 4G connection, you could get a 1,000 people onto a 5G connection for the same performance. So it's an order of magnitude better at handling more connections and bigger data. Well, the benefit of that is that performance jumps up on 5G. And uh, if and for the most part, they are rolling out 5G wherever they have a 4G uh, network currently. So what they've done is they've launched what they call a limited offer. So if you're a 4G customer and you're struggling with speed, you're struggling with the ability to connect and stay connected, they will offer the ability to upgrade to a 5G home standard package. You can check it out on the RAIN website with no, with no increase in um, in price. That offer also includes a brand new free-to-use Huawei 5G home router. My advice is you put that router in a really exposed place on the roof if you can, but um, the better the connection, the better. But there are a couple of restrictions. The first one is download speeds are limited to 30 megabits per second, which is not terrible. And streaming, I'd love to know how they manage that, is also limited to 720p, which is HD, but not uh, the, 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 the best level of HD. So you're getting a good signal, but not the absolute best for streaming. And, um, and if you want to do that, all you need to do is contact Rain about the 5G package, they will they will inform you if you're eligible, if it's part of their promotion targeted area, and there is no cost. They'll send you all the new bits and pieces and you plug it in. The hassle is that um, this is only for the rest of the year. The price may increase at the end of the year so that you won't you won't feel it now but it will increase thereafter. So if you having trouble on your rain 4G connection and it's slow or it's just intermittent or you really are struggling, go to the website, contact RAIN. You may be eligible to upgrade to 5G. And my experience of the RAIN 5G network, it is speedy, even within the limitations on their that product that they're offering you. 30 megs per second is really good. You can stream really well. And 720p on most TVs up to 55, 60 inches, you won't even notice the difference. It'll be really well worth the effort of doing so. And on that note, I've been informed that uh, our time is up. It is time to leave you for another week and collect all the gadgets and gizmos that I need to talk about next week. So on that note, this is Stephen Ambrose for, for Tech Talk right here on High FM. 
always tune in for all the latest gaz- gizmos, gadgets, and whatnot um, on high. Same place, same time next week.